0: China podcast where a British and an American girl satisfy all your curiosity and questions about what it's like to live in China today. And now your
1: hosts, Holly and Nora. Hello, everyone. Hi, welcome back. This is episode 130 of the Two White Chicks in China podcast. I always feel like it's a milestone whenever we hit like one <laughs> 10 or <of the> <laughs> <Another> yeah. <ten. laughs> yeah, I agree. Uh, well, before we start the show, I just want to say thank you to everyone who has left us a review. Um, we really appreciate those reviews, especially five stars, because. That helps other people find us on Apple Podcasts. And also, I just want to mention our Patreon supporters. Thank you to everyone who is donating on Patreon. So for those who, those of you who don't know what Patreon is, it's um, a platform where people like Nora and I can set up a page and listeners can donate a little bit if, if you can. But if you can't, don't worry. Uh, we still appreciate you listening to us. And um, once we hit a certain goal, we will try and make some videos or just, like, improve our, the audio quality of our podcasts.
0: That's right. And we've actually been brainstorming a little bit to give people the option to send us places in China. Mm. So we've been looking at different places in China, and we're going to start thinking about the total cost that it would take to do a trip, and then people can pledge towards sending us to a certain place, yeah. like some really interesting places, like even if we could go as far as like Urumqi, or hmm. yeah, like I'm, I'm dreaming big here. <laughs> Or just some places like some day trips in Guangdong would be really cool. And yeah. then we would obviously like take our camera with us. Of and you could, we'll take you with us mm-hmm. as we go. And probably we'll take little Dahlia with us as well. Yeah. So you'll see how funny it is when people, especially outside of Shenzhen, will go nuts over her.
1: <laughs> yeah, we can go and visit that mall that i mentioned a couple of episodes back oh
0: the largest mall in the world yeah, that's like that's totally empty
1: yeah was <laughs> yeah, that in dongguan i think yeah that's yeah, not far from here there. anyway a start with you know small steps <laughs> yeah so we'll put some we'll, we'll put
0: together something in the near future with some price points and people who are interested can pledge towards sending us somewhere in china um and dahlia by the way is my daughter so the chinese people a lot of times will go nuts over cuz she's a little blonde Blue-eyed thing, So she she attracts a lot of attention, which can be really funny and fun to see. So that's what Patreon's all about. But Mm -hmm. yeah, like Holly said, we're just happy to have an audience, and we're happy to hear that people are interested in what life is like in China. So thank you for listening, even if you're not Patreon. Patron. Patron. (laughs) (laughs) You're not a patron. (laughs) Yeah. All right, uh, Nara, do you have a fact about China for us? Sure do. So have you heard about... Taobao's live streaming. Taobao's live streaming. Yeah. You know? Have you seen this on Taobao? So it's like... Oh, yes. Yes, I have. Yes, yeah. I have. Yeah, of
1: course. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So live streaming in China is... Maybe you even heard about Douyin in the West because it's... You know, a lot of people are interested now in Chinese social media. So you hear uh, more and more tech companies talking about what's popular in China. Douyin is a live streaming platform and... Um, also known as TikTok in the West. Oh, right. It's got a different name. TikTok. Okay. Yeah. Here it's (laughs) Douyin. And um, in e-commerce shops all around China, they're starting more and more of this live streaming. So it's basically like one of those infomercials you see on TV, Mm -hmm. except that it's actually filmed live and you can interact with the people who are showing the product. So there's more and more people who are doing this. Um, and I just have a little statistic here that will boggle the mind. So this is from TechNode and I'll put the link in the show notes. Um, or Holly will help me do that because she's the one who does all that stuff. Um, but anyway, it says over the past year, users in Taobao watched live streaming videos for a total of one hundred and forty million hours, oh which wow. is equivalent to fifteen thousand eight hundred years. <laughs>
1: no way! So they really like their Taobao live streaming. I, I'm kind of surprised because I've watched a few of those, and I'm just I. I mean, it wouldn't matter if I could understand it all or not. Sometimes I, 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 I have to be honest, I can't. But it's just most of it's just like nothing. <laughs> like, it's just people, like, I, I saw one the other day, I don't even know what they're advertising, but it was, like, someone's grandma, like, pottering about in the in the video. <laughs> I was like, I don't, what, what are you trying to sell me? It's really successful. People tend to really like, it's like an
0: intimate experience where yeah. you can talk to the people who are actually selling the products. I read the story about a woman who's helping her husband's jewelry company, he's a Hong Kong jewelry artist, and his business was going down, his brick and mortar store was going mm. down. And so his wife, who is really interesting, she's like, a, she's like a surgeon by trade. And then she became a housewife. Anyway, I guess she's looking for something to do. And she mm. started doing these live streaming things on Taobao, and oh, they really sell helped. pieces that are like $22,000 pieces. They sell it through this live streaming wow. and she's, she calls everybody. She's like, Hey Baba. Like when she gets online, she's got like, a lot of followers who just like her personality, and she's like, "Do you want me to try this on for you?" And then she'll like put on the jewelry, and you can buy it, and you can interact with her. And <laughs> I don't know. It's it's definitely I can
1: see why it's popular here. Just video streaming in general is is just like taken over in this country i think Mm -hmm. we recently um published a post actually it wasn't me it was champson our uh, lovely chinese colleague wrote this article about um vloggers in china which is like the new thing basically and these people are just basically vlogging about life in china some of them are uh, giving you advice on digital products or makeup or whatever else but it's they're just like five minute videos and people love it
0: are there links to those videos in the blog post? Oh, I want to watch that too.
1: Yeah, it's good. I watched quite a few of them. And I was like, Oh, this is really interesting. That's That's awesome. Some Nice ones.
0: I, I kind of see where, like, authenticity has always been a problem in modern China. There's a lot of scams that go on with business. And I feel like this live streaming really strips down like you can't plagiarize a person, at least not Mm No, all those jokes about how many Eli Mannings there are floating around out there. But anyway, um, so you can you you get like the actual source of the material. Like people tend to really follow these KOLs that we've talked about in other shows. KOLs, key opinion leader, Mm -hmm. and they just they believe what they say. They really trust their opinion over research done by themselves on Baidu or which is like the Chinese Google a lot of people in the west will google stuff and they'll google reviews and they'll read through different articles about mm. a product but in China people tend to buy things based on what other people have bought yeah so i think that this live streaming thing really makes them feel connected to the source and makes them feel like they're getting the real product
1: yeah and that what, yeah that's more than that, like there's so much photoshopping that goes on here. Sometimes I, I, I think I've been relatively lucky, but I've definitely bought some stuff on Taobao and thought, hmm, like things looked like they were better quality than they turned up at, and so you think like it's, it's kind of dodgy.
0: They've done really well with their marketing on Taobao. Mm. I just remember when I first came nine years ago and how different it was to shop on Taobao now. You have all these like really high quality, high definition, 360 degree shots of the products that you're going to buy and you just feel like you can really tell what it is. But like Holly said, sometimes you get the product and you're disappointed because they make it look amazing in the photos and then you Mm -hmm. get it and you're like, that was a mistake. (laughs) But yeah, I could see this live streaming I get it. I get why it's popular here.
1: Yeah, I wonder if it'll um, catch on for like, eBay and stuff. Probably.
0: The, I mean, the appeal makes sense. I think a lot of people, when they're online shopping, they have some suspicions about the quality or about the source of their products. And to have somebody that they can actually talk to in real time, yeah. to get information before you get the product, it's... I feel like the West is really behind in terms of e-commerce.
1: Yeah, I, although I, I also feel like it's partly to do with time as well. Like, I feel like Chinese people spend so much time on their phones. Like, for me, streaming a video is can be quite time-consuming. Like even if it's, fi- like it's five minutes, I'm like, oh, I'll do it later. Whereas because they're constantly connected, watching a video is like... It's nothing. I I feel like it's right. It's just it's just like looking at a picture.
0: Mm-hmm. And data is relatively cheap here too, so you can just be anywhere. You can be on the metro and just be streaming that stuff. So it makes more sense for this market for yeah. sure. So do we have any news going on?
1: Yeah, actually, I just got hold of this article. It's not particularly like weird or anything. I just thought it was quite interesting that this made the news. The headline is, first foreign smoker find in Shenzhen. Oh. Uh, So I think we've mentioned before that China is trying to become, like, non-smoking. But we've mentioned that there's very little done. Like, you can still smoke everywhere and no one does anything about it. So this was, uh, this happened in July when a foreigner was caught in a dumpling restaurant and was, (laughs) and was fined 50 yuan, which is 7.5 (laughs) dollars. Uh, So this police arrived at this restaurant and all the the Chinese people that were smoking, they all like stubbed out their cigarettes and this guy just kept, I'm assuming it's a guy, actually it doesn't specify. They didn't stop smoking and basically they were fined on the spot.
0: (laughs) Oh wow. So
1: this is apparently the first time a foreigner has been fined for smoking. In the city.
0: That's a far cry from when I first came and got a prescription written by a doctor who was like smoking holding the in cigarette the
1: <laughs> in his mouth while writing the prescription yeah. in the hospital. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I've seen. Uh, maybe I have, but I don't recall having visited a doctor who was smoking, but you can definitely smell cigarettes in the hospital. In the bathrooms, especially. Yeah, yeah
0: stairwells.
1: Wow, well, I'm surprised. Yeah, me too, but I think we've mentioned. In the past, how sometimes these fines or catching people out is kind of like a caution. It's more like a caution. They don't want to do it all the time, but now and again, they just have to do it just to like say, this is just the start. Worst things can happen. It says in this article that if restaurants are found, they get a warning, but if they're found to still have smokers, allow people to smoke on their property, they can face fines of up to 30,000 yuan which is quite a chunk of change just for smoking. They tend
0: to do it that way. They go after the industry instead of the individual. It's the same thing with the seatbelts. The there was a case recently about how a driver? So the drivers here, the taxi drivers, are supposed to, by law, require you to put on your seatbelt before they take off. Well, there's usually like a notification, isn't there? Like a voice says, "Put on, you know, put on your seatbelt." Mm-hmm. There's yeah. always somewhere written inside of the car that you need to put on your seatbelt. It's the law. And then when you run the meter, then it also gives mm. you a message to, in English and in Chinese, yeah. Yeah. to please fasten your seatbelt. And there was a case where a man, it was at three in the morning, so he was probably just, you know, had been out. And he was just being belligerent, and the driver told him to buckle his seatbelt, and the man refused. And the driver asked him again to buckle his seatbelt, and the man refused. And then the driver was fined later. Hmm. And, you know, these drivers it's not an easy job to be a cab driver. A lot of them, like, you buy the cab or it's, like, leased and it's very expensive every month and they usually share it with one other person. So that means if there's 24 hours in a day, the car is driven 24 hours. So one man takes 12 hours, the other man takes the other 12 hours, and then they switch. Mm -hmm. And it's seven days a week. And there's a lot of them that don't take any holidays. And anyway, it's a really stressful job as it is. So if they lose that money because of their passengers not buckling up, even though they've already asked them, then it's pretty harsh. It tends to be a very effective method to get people to do stuff. So I guess this is a similar thing. Instead of focusing on finding the individual, which they do have signs. I've never seen anybody walking around enforcing them, but, no. but to get the restaurant's Scared, I think, is a more effective method
1: to enforce the law. I suppose for taxi drivers and some these smaller restaurants, like family-owned restaurants, I suppose they've got to make the choice. Am I going to lose patrons if I say, no, you can't smoke? Or, you know, do I risk getting caught? And the, And really, for the most part, the chances... Of getting caught are pretty slim or not getting caught but getting fined or whatever because mm-hmm. i'm sure there's times when there are police who are smoking in the restaurants <laughs> as well <laughs> <laughs> for sure shall we move on to our question yeah uh so our question comes from sondor who's also called david and he says hi holly and nara i've been binge listening to your podcast since last week or so and i'm thoroughly enjoying the content interplay between the two of you Question: I'm going to be spending a significant amount of time in Meizhou, Guangdong Province, which is about four and a half hours northeast of Shenzhen, over the next year, and I can't find even the slightest hint of an expat community. <laughs> or an English-Irish-Australian pub restaurant where I may run into some. Any thoughts on that would be most appreciated. Keep up the stellar work. And then we had an update because um, he actually asked us this question a little while ago and we spent some time contemplating our answer. And he he updated us and said, Hi Holly and Nora. At this point he's been in Major for two weeks. He says it's been a super busy two weeks and I'm I'm settling down. I did get to Guangzhou and Shenzhen for a day. That was fun and I actually got a tour of a toy Factory Santa's Real Workshop for Mattel, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That and the bus to Major breaking down is another story. <laughs>
0: oh no. Yeah.
1: Regarding my prior expat in Major question, a TV reporter slash personality for the local Major News channel noticed me. And we had a nice conversation. <laughs> Thank you, WeChat translator. Oh, me. She was shocked to find an American here. Said she never expected it. Uh, she then informed me that there's a rotating group of American volunteers who come to work at a local orphanage. run by an American who married a local many years ago um, and an associated elementary school. But other than that, she's convinced there are no Westerners here. <laughs> Oh, dear. Uh, Anyway, I'm settled into a really nice um, 50 square meter studio. It's in a great neighborhood that actually reminds me a bit of Guangzhou. Granted, I have a translator who facilitated this find, but it wasn't nearly as painful as I feared. Um, Your apartment shopping episode was a goldmine of information and I absorbed every last minute of it. Thank you. That's really nice. Oh, wow. Um, that's, That's an oldie. Yeah. There's even a grocery and easy walk that stocks some gasp. Western foods. <laughs> Side note: This is great. How did Chinese with all their goats and cows ne- never develop a taste for cheese? <laughs> Talk about pricey and rare here. Haha. <laughs> Speaking of your a podcast, I went ten days without being able to listen to an episode. Uh, distinct signs of withdrawal ensued. Happy to. <laughs> <laughs> Happy to have some time off him. while we finish things up at the factory. <laughs> and I look forward to catching up on the latest episodes very much. Thank you again for the message and all you to do. So in between his question and this update, we'd gone backwards and forwards. We'd connected on Facebook because as we'll, you'll find out in our response, Nora and I also did not find any. And I, I did some stalking on Facebook. I couldn't find any of the foreigners in Major or I couldn't find any. I could find a couple of coffee shops, but nothing that would... Be close to uh, like a Western style pub. Sadly, <laughs> should we get into the the, the answer?
0: <laughs> yeah. So neither Holly and I. Okay, David mentioned in his question that uh, meijo was four and a half hours from Shenzhen. But that's we looked into it because we were like maybe we can go there and right. check it out for ourselves yeah. before he comes. Yeah. Make a day trip of it. I mean, it would be a long day, but we could try. But mm-hmm. then that's actually by car, that's a by a private car, yeah. so it's actually like seven hours, at least, yeah, yeah, yeah. to get from here to there <laughs> by public transport. So we decided against that plan, although we're thinking of putting Meizhou as one of the destinations for the Patreon packages travel, send us to random places in China packages,
1: yeah. probably you can go to from Shenzhen to Guang, Guangzhou and then from Guangzhou to that. Like, I guess you've got to do some skipping about. Mm-hmm. We'll figure it out if we get funds for that. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I hadn't really read
0: anything about or heard anything about Majo, so I just found, you know, it just did what any person would do, and I looked on Wikipedia. Some stuff, yeah, me too. Yeah, so I have a couple of little <laughs> facts, and it's pretty interesting, actually. So Majo was established over a thousand years ago, So it's not a new place, just to to give you an idea. So it's in Guangdong province, but it's in in the northeast part. It's right in the corner, basically. Mm -hmm. It's almost not
1: in Guangdong.
0: (laughs) Right. And it's even hotter than Shenzhen. So I looked up the weather for today. Mm. So actually in Shenzhen, we've been enjoying a relatively cool July. Yeah. By Shenzhen standards. (laughs) It's wet, but it's cool. So it's been in the mid-80s, so that's like around... 28 29 degrees in celsius but today in meijo it's 36 degrees so that's 96 degrees fahrenheit and in well in shenzhen it's 85 degrees so it's 10 degrees hotter in meijo than it is so here So it's only
1: 25 degrees here
0: 29 yeah so it's, today it's about 29 degrees mm. yeah so it's even hotter even though it's mm. north of shenzhen it's even hotter cuz it's slightly inland right so they don't get the nice sea breeze that we get here and we have some mountains here as well that kind of send over cooler air. It's got quite a few hot springs and it has actual certified mineral water. So that's kind of <clears> nice <throat> to be near real you bottle that. Yeah, exactly. In Meijo I found that I found there I found an article written by a girl called Livia. We'll put the link again. Any of these things we mentioned, we will put the link in the show notes, writtenchinese.com. Slash episode 130. We're on 130. Um, so she wrote a blog that was about her journey to Meijo. She is partly Chinese, partly Indonesian, grew up in the UK, like has kind mm-hmm. of a mixed background. But she had never been to see where her grandfather had been born and lived for all of his life. So it was her trip to Meijo, which is where he's from. So it's kind of her experiences and it's all written in English, which is really nice. Mm. You can easily absorb it. And she's got photos and it's a couple years old, but I think it's probably pretty, still pretty accurate today. It's like two years old. And she just discusses her experiences. She doesn't speak any Mandarin, but she discussed her experiences in Meijo, and she was very, very positive. She seemed to love. But they took her to this place called Haka Venice, which is in Major, which is a European-style tourist area with coffee shops and fountains and even some horses and carts for people to Costa. take
1: photos.
0: I'm sure, like, super kitschy, but I'm sure around that area you would find at least uh, access to some Western food. <laughs> but yeah, in our search about Major, we found that um, it's considered the center for the standard Hakka dialect. So we're going to talk all about Hakka for this episode as well. We thought we'd combine it with Meijo since we don't know a whole lot about Meijo, We we swing it and talk mostly about Hakka. So did you find any other facts
1: about Meijo and your quest? Well, I found some a few bits of information that surprised me. Like the population is about 5 million, which sounds like an awful lot to me. Considering I was expecting it to be like this little town.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's a prefecture level city, which means it's not quite a province, but it's it's bigger than a county. This prefecture thing is quite, kind of complicated, so that's a really dumbed down version of what it is. And I found some things to do in Major. Ooh. Yeah, so there's the Yearning Tea Plantation Tourist Attraction. Oh, <laughs> Sounds thrilling. <laughs> Where you can, uh, you can go and taste all kinds of teas and watch tea art shows. No idea what that is, by Ooh, the way. Oh, that's awesome. Tea art is. Tea art show? What's that?
0: Yeah, so it's like a ceremony for tea.
1: Oh, oh, like we've been to one before. We did that thing before when they had the tea that went round on the little. Uh...
0: That was kind of one, yeah. (laughs) Usually it's like in a small tea house and you have somebody who's trained in tea service. And a lot of times the show can consist of them using those really long spouted kettles and like pouring tea. Depending on how elaborate it is, they can do almost like acrobatics mixed Mm. with... Sometimes it's just like a more simple ceremony right. where they show you the proper way to serve a tea. And it is very ceremonial yes. and very beautiful to watch. It's almost dance-like to watch, but it can go as elaborate as bending over backwards mm. with a kettle and pouring the tea into a cup that's, like, several meters away. So it's it can be really interesting.
1: There's also the Lianfang Tower and Ina Mountain that you can go and visit. And there's also a temple there as well that stands at the foot of the mountain. And I guess this is where we're gonna jump into the stuff that we found out about the hacker people, because there's also the Hacker Museum of China, which I guess shows the development of hacker and how they ended up in major. Apparently, there's lots of uh, stories from famous hackers.
0: Yeah, there's a huge actually that whole area is really large concentration of hacker people. So Hagar is just like a subgroup of Han Chinese, and it's interesting because it's not, unlike other groups of Han Chinese, it's not named after a geographical region or a province. And they also tend to be really clannish, and for those reasons, they sometimes are nicknamed as the Chinese Jews. Um, I found a really interesting saying in Chinese that says, (laughs) 有阳光的地方有花人。Ren. so it means wherever there is sunshine, there are Chinese. Hmm.
1: Wherever there are Chinese, there are Hakka. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's interesting. This this other name for the Hakka people arc is and It's it literally translates translates to guest people, uh, which I guess reflects this idea of them being nomadic. I guess like like migrating quite a bit, and they have. According to history, they've they've migrated at least five had five major migrations during the sixth to the thirteenth centuries, um, and this is how they've they've ended up in major uh, well not just major but specifically in Guangdong province mm-hmm. or in southern China, I suppose.
0: Yeah, it's um the most diasporic among the Chinese community groups. I found a statistic that the worldwide population of Hakas is about eighty million. Hmm. And 95% of them came from Guangdong province. So it's way bigger population. I just want to say a fact that I found that I was really surprised about. So most Chinese Jamaicans, which I don't know how many of those there are, but apparently there are quite a few. But anyway, most Chinese Jamaicans are Hakka. They have a long history in Jamaica. Between 1845 and 1884, nearly 5,000 Hakkas arrived in Jamaica in three major voyages. The haka seized the opportunity to venture into a new land, embracing the local language, customs, and culture. During the 60s and 70s, however, substantial migration of Jamaican hakas to the USA and Canada have occurred. So I'm not sure how many still actually mm-hmm. live in Jamaica, but there have even been Hakka people sitting in the government in Jamaica as well. That's very interesting. Yeah, they're everywhere. <laughs> Anywhere there's
1: sun, <laughs> according to the saints. So uh, let's look... Um, f- maybe look at their language first. Actually, before we did this, I wasn't sure if I'd heard anyone speak hacker before. But since listening to some, I, I definitely have. We've got but a lot of hacker yeah, people Yeah, in we do. D- I- but I wasn't sure. I didn't know. I mean, I I wouldn't have been able to say, oh yeah, like like that's the hacker language. But um, so we've got a an audio track for you to hear. You can hear it. <laughs> i so they say that the language is sort of a combination of Cantonese, which is the language of the people in Guangdong province, and also Mandarin. And when I listened to it, I kind of could pick out a couple of a couple of words here and there. It sounds closer to Mandarin yeah, to me than to, to yeah. Cantonese, but the the pronunciation is is quite different. Like when I was reading the subtitles and trying to follow along, I was like, oh yeah, like I can kind of hear that. That's they're saying that but it it's, it's it does have a distinct difference. Mm-hmm. In fact, I found a
0: another audio sample. This is actually a clip from YouTube again. All the links will be in the show notes and it's a comparison and it's really nice because it's really spoken very slowly. So it's a comparison of Mandarin versus Cantonese versus Hakka, so you can compare the three. They'll say the Mandarin first, then they'll say the Cantonese, then they'll say the Hakka. So let's listen to a few sentences in these languages, so you can see the difference. 我是一个学生。我很喜欢。Chi yeah, they're definitely not mutually intelligible. If I was a linguist, I would probably say that they were separate languages. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) definitely. Just because you can't, you wouldn't be able to communicate. If you were a Cantonese speaker or a Mandarin speaker, you wouldn't be able to communicate with a Hakka speaker just using. Hakka, you would have to most likely switch to Mandarin. And you, I mean, it's one of those things where, like, a Mandarin native speaker can learn Cantonese relatively quickly if they spend time there and they learn a bit of the basics. Um, but you can't just, like, there are a lot of people who have been living in Shenzhen for years and years and years, and Shenzhen is in Guangdong province, which is Canton. So most people here do speak. Cantonese, in Guangdong I mean, in Shenzhen most people use Mandarin, but they don't they still don't understand Cantonese. You do have to put effort mm. into it. So I, I guess it would be something like I don't think it's quite as close as Spanish and Italian, but something something like that. Obviously, similar language family, but not mutually intelligible. So speaking of language, do you want to hear? They have like a strong musical
1: tradition. Do you want to hear some music? Yeah, sure. Is this is this the ha- is this the hacker in general? Because I also found that in major they have some famous ballads. Oh Yeah, I, I, I didn't find anything, I didn't find, like, lyrics or anything, but apparently it's quite specific. to There's, co- there's something called The Ballad of Major.
0: <laughs> oh, no, I haven't found that. I'll have yeah. to search for that. Yeah. No, I found, um, so there's two things I'm going to share with you now. One is a Hakka folk song, just to kind of give you a little feel of the, which I really love this, okay, this is like an old song. And um, you'll kind of get a feel for the language and the beauty of the language. And then there's a thing called like a Haka Hill song. So this is something that people would actually use back in the day to communicate in far distances. They would actually kind of like sing things across the mountains um, and their
1: voices would carry. So it's like yodeling, I suppose. Yeah,
0: it's really cool. Um, Let me play first for you the Hakka folk song and then we'll play the Hakka hill song which is it's which i suggest you watch the video because it's just this live film someone just whipped out their camera of this older lady just like doing an impromptu hill song for i guess some tourists who have come to mm-hmm. visit so she's really adorable so check out the link from the show notes cool. so here is the folk song French mentioned yodeling, they do mm-hmm. kind of have, like, a little bit... It actually reminds me of the songs from Bulgaria. A lot of the mountain people songs, like, from the Rodolps have this... There's something similar about the quality of the voice. You might hear it even more clearly in in the Hill
1: song. I guess a lot of folk music does have some sort of, like, uh, similar... Similarities between them. I feel like listening to that song. It sounded more. Felt like it sounded more Cantonese. That's what I. That's what I was getting from the from the music.
0: Maybe certain words stand out in the music, I think so. and like this style with was...
1: flow like that up and down kind of sing-songy way that the Cantonese, I feel like the Cantonese languages, it lends well to music, I think. And that Better song style too, yeah. it was
0: really popular in Hong Kong mm-hmm. in a similar era. So I think yeah. also we associate this kind of melody and the, the instruments mm-hmm. even yeah. with this style for sure. So here is this little lady and <laughs> she you gotta watch the video. She's super cute. She even kind of does like little dances as she's singing this.
1: Yeah,
0: it's very piercing but I find it really Got aesthetic value to
1: me, at least. <laughs> it sounds very similar to some of the, I guess, the ladies who walk around, at, you know, in the... They're in the parks or the, or the gardens or whatever, and they're often singing. Cash, my dog, likes those singers so
0: much. <laughs> Does he try to sing along? <laughs> no,
1: he just likes to follow them.
0: <laughs> yeah, you should check... There was actually a whole playlist of different Hakka songs, both live, like this one, and... Recordings from movies and albums, so I I recommend if you're interested to check out the playlist that this previous video is included, and it's really it's it's got a lot of cool stuff on there, rare recordings.
1: Cool. Um, should we move on to food?
0: (laughs) Yes, definitely.
1: Great. Um, so apparently there isn't difference exactly to Chinese food; they're not cooking anything particularly different. It's just how it's cooked. The Hakka people tend to eat a lot of preserved vegetable vegetables and braised pork and it, from what i understood a lot of these the, a lot of this food is is now served predominantly in hong kong um especially the like uh, deep fried intestines mm <laughs> as well as like tofu um and this is a signature di- signature dish which i would really like to try which is salt baked chicken Mmm <laughs>
0: We gotta find a haka kitchen. Yeah, right. Maybe we could even do a little mini Patreon one where (laughs) they send us to to eat.
1: (laughs) Give us your money so we can go to a haka restaurant. (laughs) I'm
0: joking. I'm just hungry. No.
1: (laughs) Cool. Anything else about the food? It also tends to be quite texturized. I'm not exactly sure what that means. Perhaps it's more like, instead of it being like big pieces of meat, it's like it's been, you know, hammered. Hammered? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like when you're, there's certain pieces of like steak or, not steak, you know, pieces of meat where you like hammer it. What's that? What would you call that? There's a special word for it. I don't know. Tenderized? Yeah, that's tenderizing, not texturizing. (laughs) Forget it. Please cut this all out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. No, nothing. That's it. Okay. This is, for me, the most interesting uh, part about the ha- like hacker culture um, is that they have these very specific walled villages, and there's one in particular in Meijo which is called um, Weilongwu which is basically a semicircular village. There's a, a pond. Oh no, it's a, sorry, it's a circular village, but there's it's like split into two semicircles. So there's a semicircular pond and that's in front of the village that residential area is also a semicircle it's really cool to to see there are pictures um i can link to those or or even put the pictures in our show notes but they look really really cool
0: i think i read that there's a now unesco world heritage site that was a Hakka village i'm not sure the architectural style if it's this one that's also from on the wikipedia page
1: um, but I, yeah, architecture is different from other Han mm. Chinese. Which just I mean, I've never come across anything like that before. It just sounds, it just seems really interesting. It sounds really interesting. Yeah. There are other types of wild villages, but this one in particular is in Mejo. Cool.
0: So I mentioned a little while ago about how there have been Hakka political leaders in Jamaica, and this seems to be a common theme with the Hakka oh. people. They really have a strong sense of leadership and diplomacy, I think, because there are some probably figures that even people who have not been to China or are that familiar with Chinese culture have heard of, such as, uh, for example, Sun Yat-sen is Hmm. Hakka. And he was actually the founding father of modern China, if you don't, if you're not familiar, and the first president of the provincial government of the Republic of China. And that was in 1912. Deng Xiaoping. Oh, really? Yeah, he's Hakka. Yeah, so he is really famous, especially in Shenzhen, because Shenzhen is kind of the shop window of China, as they say, and Deng Xiaoping really... It's his baby, isn't it, really? Yeah, he promoted the opening up of the economic environment here in China, and a lot of people attribute China's current success to his policies. Um, also, Li Chenghui, who is the president of Taiwan from 1988 to 2000... Um, He was the first popularly elected president in Taiwan. He was Haka. Lee Kuan Yew was a founding father of modern Singapore and also the first prime minister of Singapore. And that's um, from 1959 until 1990. And there's a huge list yeah. It was really amazing. There were a lot of politicians that were, like, the first Chinese ethnic politician of blah, 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 blah. And there's just mm-hmm. a huge list. So they definitely stand out when it comes to government, um, and re- there's a lot of revolutionaries, and there's a lot of military leaders in the... Hakka history, so it's very fascinating.
1: Yeah, I guess with their history, having experienced so much that you know they were they were part of many conflicts, so perhaps that has influenced their you know interest in politics and the military. Mm-hmm. Strong leaders mm.
0: in Shenzhen, we often see a lot of people who had who can trace Hakka roots in their family. So hopefully, you learned a little bit about. Hakka people, we are not experts and we would love it if any of you out there listening, especially our Chinese audience, if you have any Hakka background, we would love to hear your experiences or if you can add anything to the show. You can do so at writtenchinese.com slash episode one three zero or you can drop us a message on our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash two white chicks. The two is spelled out T-W-O. Uh, before we close out, Nora, do you have a word of the week for us? Yeah, so I'm just gonna say the word for Hakka, which is kujia. So it literally means guest family, and it's that's how you translate Hakka into Mandarin kujia. So you can check those characters out on uh, the show notes, or you can just search kujia. You can search the opinion k e. JIA in the dictionary that we have online and actually now you can sync all of your flashcards from the web to your phones so you just create a, a free account at writtenchinese.com and you can look up words in our dictionary online and you can sync them <clears throat> to your flashcard sets on your phone and study them
1: on the go. If you would like to leave us a question, you can go to writtenchinese.com voicemail and we will try and answer any of your questions about Chinese culture or what it's like to live in China. Or you can also leave us a written message Anywhere on writtenchinese.com or on our Facebook page, you know, we'll find you. Or you'll find us, I'm sure.
0: (laughs) Thanks for listening. Bye.